Is Shadur Sanders facing the most pressure in college football? We'll discuss that on today's episode of Locked On Buffs. You are Locked On Buffs, your daily podcast on the Colorado Buffaloes. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Buffs. I'm your host, Kevin Borwa, and joining me again is John Garcia Jr., my recruiting expert slash insider slash savant, everything in between. John, how you doing? I'm doing well, Kevin. Good to be back on with you. Good good to have you back. Um, before we start, we want to thank you for making Locked On Buffs your first listen of the day. We're available wherever you get your podcast and YouTube. Um, and before we start the episode, we also have to give a shout out to FanDuel. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. Okay, John, I'm just scrolling through my feed the other day, and all of a sudden, I see Shadur Sanders' name pop up in the ESPN article. So as anyone does who follows the Colorado football program, you click on it, right? Well, they were having a roundtable to discuss who is facing the most pressure in college football. And out of all the transfers in college football, they deemed him um, the transfer that is facing the most pressure in college football. What do you think? I can see the argument made among transfers, but at that position, obviously, Every single QB1 is under immense pressure. I would certainly put several other quarterbacks in front of him in general. But if you go purely based on the transfers, I understand the argument, right? Because, look, this Colorado spotlight, for better or worse, is only going to brighten going forward as we get closer to spring ball, certainly as we get closer to the 2023 season. And the type of approach that his father, Deion Sanders, brings to the program it's polarizing. It's honest. It's it's probably oversaturated to a degree. And that creates not only a bigger spotlight, it creates detractors. It creates haters, whatever you want to call it. There's going to be a contingent of people, whether it's in the sport, from the fan perspective, etc., that are going to kind of be rooting for Colorado to fall on its collective face. And if that does happen, obviously Shador will be at the on-field center of that situation. But I think relative to objectivity and normal expectations you can't say he's got the most pressure uh, at any one spot position even among transfers I think because he's coming into obviously a, a 1-11 program that yes the roster is going to be overhauled but the expectation is like maybe a bowl you know and I don't think there's any other program in the country where the expectation is maybe getting to a bowl that's going to have the spotlight that Colorado is going to have so in that regard I get it. But even in the conference, there are literally five, six, seven other quarterbacks that are going to have more pressure on them. I'd argue DJ Uyangalale among transfer quarterbacks has more pressure, right? More was way more highly touted uh, than Shador coming out of high school. I mean, at one point he was neck and neck with Bryce Young as the number one quarterback in that recruiting class. So to have that type of expectations, uh, get a lot of snaps as a true freshman, and then kind of backtrack at Clemson, I think there's a lot more pressure on DJ to resurrect things in Corvallis, which I think he will, by the way. Uh, so even in, among transfers, saying it out loud, I don't think Shador has the most pressure. But in the Pac-12, there's so many more quarterbacks that more folks are going to scrutinize and, and watch more closely than, than they will with him. But attached to the Colorado program does bring 
another layer or two of pressure. So I do understand it in that regard. But again, it's not like everyone's calling for a Pac-12 title run or a CFP run. If that were the case, fine. But it's certainly, at least right now, feels very far away from that point. Yeah, I totally agree with the DJ um, point. I think that's where I was going to go to. I, I think he's on, this is like save his career mode. Um, if we're being quite frank at Oregon State, whereas Shadur is going to have this year, assuming he doesn't pop off and blow the world away, he's going to have next year as well. That's a great uh, I'm sure he'll do fine, but I think the reason for the pressure is he has the the double effect. He has He's the coach's son, which we all know coach's sons are not widely regarded as um, liked people in most sports or mo- across most settings. Um, obviously, it's not like he's a scrub and Dion gave him the job anyway. He's very good through for 7,000 yards, 70 touchdowns at Jackson state. And two, he has a famous father who played the sport. And so that's like the, the double, that's the double whammy, if you will. Um, he's got the popularity from his dad and he's got the fact that his dad's the coach. And so I think people are putting this pressure on him because one, there's always going to be comparisons to Dion, even though Dion was a defensive back that unless I'm missing something, I don't think he ever threw a college pass or pass in general. Um, he, he might have. I don't know. He probably was good enough to throw a pass. We're he being probably honest. could have. Exactly. Yeah. The baseball <laughs> the baseball background allows that arm to be That's good. True. But obviously with his skill set, yeah, you always wanted him on the other end of pass. Right. But like he's not throwing passes. And so there's still going to be the pressure, even though they play different positions. And I think, too, um, I and I talked about this when I spoke, I think it was two days ago, about Paul Feinbaum criticizing Deion Sanders and saying that they don't have a high ceiling. I think we're seeing the end of the honeymoon phase. I keep saying this. Um, I think everybody is trying to get past the point of Colorado's like this fun story that they went from one win, a one win team to now having a top 25 class and number one transfer class. And I think people are trying to poke holes in what the buffs are building. And so I think this is just another another example of that, because what better way to poke holes into the Buffaloes than saying their quarterback hasn't played at the power five level because he hasn't. So that is a valid argument, but it's not like he's some random scrub that they picked up off the corner of the street. (laughs) Hundred percent. Yeah, look, this is and look. Th- there's a lot of there's a lot of precedent with lofty expectations for guys who had never played in the Power Five. Caleb Williams getting into Oklahoma was talking about pushing Spencer Rattler out of that job before he was done with high school. He ended up doing it, so it, it works out in the end. But there were expectations there. We just talked about Uyangale. Same deal. A lot of expectations to follow up Trevor Lawrence and maintain that to keep it uh, with DJ. Cade Klubnik at Clemson this past year. A lot of folks were like, hey, he could be QB1 right out of the gate. You could look anywhere across the country. Arch Manning, Quinn Ewers, Bryce Young, um, Bo Nix up at Oregon as a freshman was the guy at Auburn. And a lot of folks expected that based on what he did in high school. So it's kind of a double standard, right? Because at least Shador's done it at the collegiate level and at the FCS level. And he was very successful, right? Six games above 70% 70% completions, all the yards, clutch throws, uh, you know, to Travis Hunter most recently uh, at the end of their Jackson State tenure. It's not like you're starting from scratch here. So we weren't hearing these kind of conversations and question marks around other guys who jump from the FCS. And heck, guys jump from the FCS to the NFL, right? Carson Wentz, Trey Lance. Uh, I mean, those guys, you know, didn't deal with as much of it seemingly going to the NFL as opposed to Shador going to the power five. So yeah, stranger things have happened, especially at that position. So it does seem a little, a little overweighted uh, towards mm-hmm. Shador, but uh, like everything else, Colorado, I think, you know, they'll, they'll take it with a grain of salt and probably turn it around and, and use it as some um, classic off season motivation. 
Yeah, they got plenty of bulletin board coming in these past couple weeks. And I think also Colorado's, and this is a weird thing to say because they haven't played a game yet. Um, they won one game last year. They're a premier program social media-wise. And I'm not calling them a social media team. I'm not like Emmanuel Ocho calling Justin Herbert a social media quarterback. I'm just saying people like to talk about them. So us in the business, specifically those who cover the sport nationally, are going to try to figure out a way to bring in more people to see their stuff. And so I feel like Colorado is kind of one of those target audiences right now. And before we talk about Eric B responding to Shady McCoy, throwing some shade and John ha- having some recruiting experts, we have to give another shout out to FanDuel. The, this is the midway point of the NBA season. It's here and now it is the perfect time to download FanDuel America's number one sports book because new customers get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back. If your first bet doesn't win, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you could bet on everything from the money line to points scored and threes drained. I personally was pushing that Memphis money line over the 76ers yesterday, and they ended up losing, so that was disappointing. So look ahead to other games. Maybe the Steph Curry has a prop bet for threes. It's always a safe bet to bet on Steph Curry making some threes. Um, plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your f- no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an, fishing, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. So now we went from talking NBA betting right there to now we got to talk some NFL. Um, Eric Bieniemy, we talked about it. I think it was at the beginning of this week, John, where he took the Washington Commanders, offensive coordinator and associate head coach position meaning he has total control of the offense he brought in his own staff and little did we know that there was a former player that kind of had some beef with him i guess you could say um lashawn mccoy went on fs1's new show which i think of as is a spinoff of like three different shows already called speak um formerly speak for yourself and formerly something else i believe is the same show or the same premise of the show and he basically not not even basically he said Eric Bieniemy will be exposed in DC. He doesn't have Patrick Mahomes. He doesn't have Travis Kelsey. And then he went on to say that if you look at the practice, which I don't know how you do this. I didn't know they record practice meeting rooms all the time. But if you looked at the practice meeting rooms with the Chiefs, Bieniemy had no say over the passing game. He had no control over the offense. It was all Andy Reid. He didn't correct the receivers, didn't correct the quarterbacks. And he would sometimes correct the running backs because he's a former running back and former running backs coach. Eric Bieniemy responded with, I guess he took it with a grain of salt. Didn't really, didn't really let it phase him. He basically said that LaShawn McCoy is a Hall of Famer. Everybody has their opinion and nothing bothers him. John, big deal or no deal, LaShawn McCoy coming for Eric Bieniemy, even despite all the public backlash from NFL players about him not getting a head coaching job. I Yeah, I kind of get it. Uh, look, LaShawn ended his career, great career, but not so great at, at Kansas City where he obviously overlapped with with EB uh, a plenty over those couple of seasons. Got the numbers right here, 111 carries for 496 yards uh, in that span. Not great uh, on on Shady's, certainly compared to Shady's Eagles and even Buffalo uh, tenure. So it was the end of his career. Obviously, the usage started to wind down uh, a good bit. Um, so you understand that actually less than that. He he was at Kansas City, then Tampa Bay, because, mm-hmm. you know, my reading comprehension is not the best, but still not great uh, in his Kansas City career. Uh, I do think that was the Super Bowl year, though. So he might have got a ring mm-hmm. out of it. But clearly there was, to me, some underlying issues going on between the two. Um, and it's a one year sample. Eric was in KC for 10 years. 
and guys who were there much longer, most notably Patrick Mahomes coming to his defense, um, as well as another running back, Jamal Charles, who, who was there much longer and had much more success than Shady did under the enemy, um, basically called him out, you know, and said, hey, this, you know, this is not right. Eric uh, deserves everything he's getting and more. Um, and Charles specifically mentioned, you know, his input in the game plan with Andy Reid. Uh, and it's also important to note here, LaShawn McCoy came up under Andy Reid in Philly where he had the most success that, that he ever had. And he very much views him as a genius. He said so in that entire Super Bowl buildup. So, you know, he's more team Andy Reid than Eric Bieniemy. Not that they should be separated because Andy Reid is another very vocal and outspoken supporter for Bieniemy. So this feels to me like a little bit of, of sour grapes based on mm. the one year that they overlapped together in, in 2019 there in, in Kansas City. And that's the other point. You know, LaShawn's point is, hey, I was there in the meeting rooms. That's a one. It's a 10 percent sample of the time Bieniemy was in Kansas City, you know, one year out of 10. So. I do think that's important to know. And his most recent year was in 19. So four years ago, um, there's no reason to believe that the would have had, you know, lesser of a role, you know, in a previous decade. Uh, th there's all the reason to believe he's had more and more input as each season has progressed. And throughout the last four seasons since Shady was there, obviously Super Bowl runs, AFC title runs and nothing worse than that uh, under the Reed and the combination. So Everyone else in the league, insiders, outsiders, players, etc., cetera, um, thought this was overdue for enemy. So I, I'll generally take their side of the coin as opposed to somebody who overlapped with him for a few months, uh, in essence. Yeah, for sure. And before I make my point, I do have to thank you guys for making Locked on Bus your first listen of the day. Uh, make sure you check out our brand new podcast, Locked on College Basketball. Everything you need to know about college basketball in one place, plus hear from big name experts, insiders, coaches, and players. Locked on College Basketball, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, I think my favorite person to call out uh, Shady McCoy was actually Tyree Kill, who is now with the Dolphins. Um, he tweeted at him that he was still upset that Biennemi told him to talk the ball because if you guys didn't know, Shady is notorious for base. I honestly want to compare it to the Michael Vick of running backs where it's like just not – it's not high and tight. It's um, barely like on the wrist and just wherever the arm goes kind of thing. And um, – he, he jokingly tweeted that at LaShawn McCoy saying that he was still salty about that. Uh, I think this is kind of, especially we're seeing this a lot with former players now. Um, it they have two routes in the media field. There's the JJ Redick route who he becomes the beloved analyst who obviously knows a lot about his sport and people respect him for his opinions. And he kind of combats all of these narratives and you see it on first take. Every time he's there, he combats with Stephen A. Smith and mad dog about whatever their outlandish NBA takes are. Um, this is ignoring his latest Larry Bird thing because all the old heads hate that. But J.J. Redick, for the most part, is a beloved college or a beloved basketball analyst. And then there's guys like Emmanuel Acho. Um, I think LaShawn McCoy is along those lines, too, where they obviously don't need the followers. They don't need the money. They made plenty of money during their NFL careers. But I think there's well, a route. Yeah, well, true, true. But McCoy, he, he's he's set. He should be set at least. And I think there's a route for being the guy that kind of goes against the grain in terms of like not defending players and coaches. And so I think that's the route he's kind of choosing to take. Um, this isn't his first time calling somebody out. And I think the extent of calling someone out that he went to of saying he's going to be exposed, like that's basically saying that Eric Bieniemy has no idea what he's doing. Like exposed is when someone gets exposed, it's like they're a fraud is basically what they're saying. And now he didn't say this, but I'm just saying when you're saying that someone has a potential to get exposed, you're basically saying that they're 
along along the terms of fraudulent. Right. And so, which I would think, make E.B. A, a phenomenal actor if yeah. if if true. I mean, wow, what what a hustler! If he could keep that job for ten years under a Hall of Fame Super Bowl coach uh, and an MVP quarterback all these years, I mean, that would be quite the hustle for sure. Right, right, exactly. And so I think I think we're just seeing the kind of personality a uh, person personality LaShawn McCoy is going to have in the media. Uh, I'm sure he's going to hype up certain people when it's due, but I don't think he's going to shy away from criticizing. And I think this is just one of the few examples that we've seen of former athletes or coaches criticizing because most of the time they are very um, lukewarm on situations. It's just interesting that he chose to go boiling hot on a situation on his former coach. And so maybe there was a little, a little kerfuffle or curmuttance um, along the way in Kansas city on his way out. Um, and our last discussion of the day, John has some great recruiting insider information for us. Um, if you haven't been following along at Athlon, which you should be, uh, we have some great news in regards to Colorado recruiting the quarterback position, the defensive backslash wide receiver position. So, John, first, give us give some details on the quarterback that you were having some discussions with. Give us a little storyline and a breakdown of where he's been and what he's been up to. Yeah. So Marcos Davila is, is a red hot kind of ascending quarterback recruit in the class of 2024. He, he's out of Midland Lee in, in Texas. Uh, one of the storied programs. If you watch Friday night lights, that's Odessa Permian, one of their rivals, Midland Lee, go watch the movie. You'll understand where this kid is from. One of those one stop light, shut the town down kind of high school towns. And he blew up big time junior season, over 3000 yards, nearly 40 touchdowns. And a lot of schools came calling in the fall over into the new year. He jumped on board with TCU in December, understandably, Horn Frogs in state, huge run uh, under Sonny Dykes uh, and Garrett Riley. But of course, into the new year, Riley moves on to Clemson and a lot of folks start making phone calls uh, to, to Marcos as his recruitment just kind of continued to pick up momentum. Colorado, Miami, Houston, a bunch of schools jump in with new scholarship offers. Um, obviously, TCU makes adjustments to its offensive staff. And then just the other day, Davila decommits from the Horn Frogs. But before that point, he had told me he was already on the Horn with the Buffaloes, with the Hurricanes and the Cougars about visits in the month of March. So now he's going to get going with those Purdue and other school that's uh, expected to get him on campus. So this thing's a total reset, wide open now. He'll visit Colorado uh, in the next few weeks and really uh, get a chance to build a relationship with not only Deion Sanders, but Sean Lewis, of course, the offensive coordinator. Um, and it looks like he's going to take his time this time around and kind of allow his blow up to lead to more opportunities and potential visits. So this is big for Colorado. We know the current QB room is pretty stacked behind Shador. Um, they've signed two quarterbacks in the class of 2023. So there is uh, some depth and some volume there. But now going forward, obviously, Colorado's got to build the post-Shador Sanders era QB room. Uh, so that means you got to hit not only the portal, uh, but the high school ranks very hard. And Marcos Davila all of a sudden looks like a, a very prime candidate to potentially be uh, a QB for the Buffs uh, in the near future. And, and again, he's a hot ascending prospect. So just getting a visit here feels pretty big for for Prime and company. And, and that's starting to become what we expect from this staff uh, pretty much with any priority recruit. Yeah, and I, I think just hearing you name the teams and the programs that he's interested in, I think he has 
not not a type, but he definitely has an offense that he's looking for. Um, Houston with Dana a lot Hogan, of wide open stuff. They yeah. like to air it out. Purdue, I Purdue, I believe has a former Texas high school coach um, that Hudson Card actually was influenced to go there. And so I think there's going to be a lot of Purdue Texas Purdue people going um, in the next coming years. Also Miami, they're trying to figure out things over there. And yeah. honestly. This is a no slight towards any of the quarterbacks that they brought on um, in the 2023 class and on the roster. I think in this day and age of college football, you just have to account for the fact that there is a chance that you will lose one or two quarterbacks per year to the transfer portal. Um, some of these guys either see that they're not going to really get a path to the field or some of these guys kind of maybe get some playing time and want to parlay that into a starting role. And so I think that while they do have some good options behind Shadur, I think realistically any program would want to have like four to five, um, excuse me, quarterbacks behind their starter because you know, you're losing at least two to three of them at the end of the year. Uh, that's just how it's been working out. Um, not saying that it's going to happen with any of these kids. They might all battle it out for next, the next year when Shadur is gone they might just have a four way quarterback battle, but it's good to see that Colorado is still dipping into the recruiting pool. And I think, like you said, he's up and coming um, transcending quarterback where he, I think a lot of these recruits kind of commit early and it kind of fizzles their recruitment. And then once programs hear that, it's like, oh, maybe he's leaning this way. Or obviously TCU lost uh, Garrett Riley and they brought in Kendall Bryles. So not the same offensive mind um, that he thought he was going to play for. And so it just provides opportunities for programs to get back into the mix. And Colorado's going to get back into the mix. You said they're going to get him for a visit, correct? Yeah, I don't know if the date is set yet. Uh, he told me Purdue's the only one for sure. That'll be the first weekend of March. So okay. theoretically, each you know corresponding weekend, he'll hit some of these camps or the campuses, and Colorado will get uh, one of the first few. He said they they were trying to set it up at, at last check. So it'll happen in the next few weeks, and we'll kind of go from there. I think it's something to track uh, in a big way because the 2024 QB dominoes are often rolling pretty heavily. A lot of kids are coming off the board. Uh, so a Colorado needs to kind of start to zero in on its on its small crop of, of QBs here before all the, the blue chippers are off the board. So certainly uh, Marcos looks like, again, one of the prime candidates there at 6'3", 215. We're already physically ready, polished kid, uh, condensed motion, a lot of things you like in a pass-first era that we're obviously living in. Yeah, and I think the 2024 quarterback class, they're they're deciding fast. Like they I want to say they've for some reason this class in particular has decided that like, you know what, we're all going to commit before before our season starts and it honestly feels like that's the trend. I think the only person who might be the biggest mystery is Dylan Rayola, the number one uh recruit just because he was committed to Ohio State and now other people are starting to get him some offers and get him get in his his ear a little bit and so we'll see what happens but it's good to see that Colorado is in the mix for um, a highly ranked quarterback because nothing against the quarterbacks they brought in but it was two three stars and so they're starting to see I think you're starting to see the Dion effect in terms of all over the field um, bringing in some some weapons um, all over the field and then they have a chance to bring in another two-way star John um, and Aaron Butler the four star out of Calabasas, uh, my neck of the woods, kind of. Um, I do live like seven hours away from him, but it's still my neck of the woods. That's that's how big California is. <laughs> um, but yeah, t- talk to me a little bit about his recruiting. It's a top six of Alabama, Georgia, Colorado, Oregon, and Washington. Right. Yeah, top I mean, five, just, sorry, math is hard. <laughs> listen to those schools, right? I mean, this would be another kind of big boy battle here for Colorado. Obviously, we we now know 
that uh, the Buffs are absolutely suited to to compete in these battles, which is a far cry uh, from the previous administration. But it, it's still tough, right? Like you said, um, Calabasas kid, high profile kid, top 100 type recruit, plays receiver, plays DB, a very good uh, you know, sprinter on the track and field as well. Uh, th this kid can fly. So naturally, schools across the country are very much in on him. Um, like, like you said, I mean, when you start the list with Alabama and Georgia, it, it's really tough. Uh, I think the Bulldogs have some momentum. They're the only school that's got an official visit locked in right now. However, he told uh, old friend Chad Simmons of On3 that he's getting close to setting this Colorado official visit. So that's really the next step for the buffs to sell something different, obviously compared to Georgia and Alabama specifically, you can pitch a quicker path to the field, whether he prefers offense or defense. I'm not sure where he lies on that coin just yet. I tend to think offense, um, especially with the DBs that Colorado's bringing in. I think that's maybe the better path for high schoolers at the position. Uh, so I do think that can start to create some variance compared to some of these other options where obviously Georgia, Bama specifically, you're going to have to not only duke it out, but maybe wait uh, in turn uh, for your path to playing time as well. So depending on the timeline, though, this one can get really fascinating. It looks like he wants to take these officials and then probably get to a decision before the season gets going. So the sooner Colorado can lock in this official visit with him, the better. And you let the chips fall where they may thereafter. Everybody knows that the Colorado offer, Colorado ending up in these, these top schools lists for these top athletes. It's it's not a courtesy. It's real. It's something that that has their attention and, and the intrigue around Boulder it has never been higher. So I do think if and when that official visit is set, it will turn heads and folks will, will treat that uh, very seriously. So we'll see. Former USC commit, that would look good opti optically for whoever uh, ends up with this verbal commitment. And, and again, it looks like it could come down sooner rather than later. So you got to lock in the OV date get him on campus and, and let the chips fall where they may, regardless uh, of who's really prioritizing him uh, across the country. Yeah. Cause I, I think I read somewhere he's yeah. I, and I wrote this, he's planning on committing around late April or May. So it's a quick turnaround. So all these visits are going to be happening ASAP. Um, I think an angle that not a lot of people are discussing about Colorado's recruiting um, specifically at the DB slash wide receiver spots. I think Deion Sanders and company are kind of flirting with the idea of, maybe allowing more people to play two ways um, because he is someone who projects as a college DB or a college receiver. Um, he could play both. Um, they, I believe 24 seven has his like position quote unquote, like position he should be playing as defensive back. Um, but they also said he could be a wide receiver. And so it's kind of like a Travis Henner situation where they could play both ways. And so we'll see um, if that's something that Colorado kind of leans into, because that was also something that 2025, recruit i think it's dewan morris d-a-u-n-e morris um talked about he plays wide receiver running back nickel um kick returner punt returner and says that's something he likes to do and so maybe that's colorado's like pitch that's setting them apart because you're likely not playing two ways at alabama you're likely no. not playing two ways at georgia oregon washington maybe but it's like where would you want to play Probably two ways that yeah right. may, even it's like a maybe there colorado has the, the i guess the best opportunity to see the field and maybe the best opportunity to see the field both ways. Um, I think they have a lot of interchangeable parts 
at certain positions. And if they want Travis Hunter to play both ways, then they're going to have to give him some rest on offense um, just because of how fast the nature of the offense is. But yeah, we will keep you guys updated on Locked on Bus. Make sure to like, subscribe, and follow us. Um, wherever you get your podcast, give us five stars. And before we depart, we also must give a shout out for Think we have to thank you for making Locked on Bus your first listen because it should be your first listen of the day. Um, it's the best way to start your day, in our opinion, our humble opinion. Um, for your second listen of the day, though, check out our brand new podcast, Locked on College Basketball. Experts Isaac Shaw and Andy Patton bring you everything you need to know on and off the court. Plus, hear from big name experts, coaches, and players throughout the basketball landscape. Locked on College Basketball available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. Me and John want to thank you guys for listening to our podcast, Locked on Bus. Make sure to share. Um, comment. Um, we've been getting a lot of comments lately, and we will address if you guys have questions. Um, we could do like a fan question type of thing. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, make sure to share, like, subscribe. We appreciate you guys, and we will see you guys on Monday because it is Friday. <laughs>